0: let's go to Matthew chapter 3 beginning in verse 1 this is the story of John the Baptist it starts it says in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make his path straight and then down at verse 7 it says but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism He said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I love John the Baptist. John the Baptist was not playing around. You have to understand that the Pharisees and Sadducees that came to this baptism were the leaders in his community. They were the ones with all of the power, all of the authority. They had the ability to make or break you in the community. They had the ability to... Open doors for you are to close doors for you. And John said fearlessly, he called out the spirit that rested upon them. He said, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn (laughs) But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Somebody say unquenchable fire. fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered and said, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized immediately, he went up from the water and behold, The heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Come to tell you this morning that reverence is an all-consuming fire. The title of my message today is Dunamis, The Power of Reverence. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, we thank you for your sweet presence in this room this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you have met us in this place, that your presence rests in this house. Lord, we say we don't make room for you. We give you the room, Holy Spirit. Have your way. Lord, I pray that every word that comes from my lips would be from your heart. And any word that isn't from you, let it fall to the wayside and die. Lord, I thank you that nobody came to hear me, but we all came to hear you. So we say, speak, Lord your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, say amen. Amen. I said it earlier, 2023 is the year of dunamis. If you're new to mercy culture and you don't know, every year we release a prophetic word over this house for this year. And one of the things that mercy culture does best is steward prophetic words. We keep them, we hold them, we pray over them. We often bring them up in staff meetings and in senior team meetings, and we review what the Lord has spoken, and we pray into it, and we say, Lord, how do you want us to move, and what do you want us to do? And this year of dunamis power has been a year of great shaking, because the Lord said that anything that can be shaken will be shaken, and it's been a year of strengthening and fortifying And you know, you can't strengthen and fortify if you don't know what's weak. You can't strengthen if you're not made aware of what needs to be strengthened. And this year, so much of this year has been a revealing of the weak areas of our lives. It's been a revealing of where we need to fortify our spiritual lives, our financial lives, our emotional and physical lives, our relationships, our relationship with each other and with the Lord. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, but you will receive power, or dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, dunamis is not given to us so that we can be magicians. Dunamis is not something given so that you can put on some show and impress people. But dunamis power comes upon us from the Holy Spirit so that we may be the witnesses of Jesus to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. Yes, there is power that comes upon us, but it is the power to strengthen and fortify us. Strength, power, and might is a condition in which one can exert great force or withstand great force with the focus of having ability to do what is desired, intended, or necessary. And fortification is a stronghold, a place or structure, which is a safe place to reside against attacks. So we have been strengthening and fortifying ourselves in every way. And we've been praying. We've been doing guerrilla warfare all year. We had two opportunities for 24-hour prayer here in the tent where someone was here 24 hours a day in prayer and worship praying. And we've had prayer in parks and prayer in houses and prayer on the bridge crossing the Brazos. And we've had worship nights and early morning prayers and late night prayers and just seeking the face of the Lord. We fasted and we've sought God and we've asked him to strengthen and fortify us. How many can say you felt strengthened this year? You felt fortified this year. I can tell you I felt it. But at the end of the year, see, we're, we're wrapping up the year of Dunamis. We're going into a new season. And we as a church at Mercy Culture Waco, we are also moving into a new season of our church. Because we're about to inhabit that building that we've been praying and fasting for for two years. We've been in spiritual warfare. Somebody said, I don't believe in spiritual warfare. Okay, well, hold on. Because whether you realize it or not, you're in a spiritual battle. Look at your neighbor. Say, you are in a spiritual battle. You may feel like it's a natural battle. You may feel like like it's a natural battle. You may feel like it's just something that you're dealing with. It is a spiritual battle. And as we wrap up this season, as we come to the end, as we are about to inhabit new land and take new territory, there are increased attacks from the enemy. You see, the enemy will always check and see where the weak spots are. Just like in war and in battle, The enemy doesn't come into the fortified city at the strongest places. No, he looks for the weakest places. And there's always tests to see where are you weak and where can I come in and where is there an open door? And as we prepare to take this new territory and enter into a new season, many of us have felt an increase in spiritual warfare. But I don't know about you, but for me, it gets me excited. I start to get a little bit hype. I start to get a little pumped up when I know that the enemy is upset, that the enemy is angry, that there's opposition. You see, Satan doesn't, isn't offended by weak and lazy Christians. Satan isn't offended by fearful Christians cowering and hiding in a corner. But when you begin to walk in dunamis power and you start to take territory for the kingdom and you start to speak up against darkness and evil, then all of a sudden there's an agitation and you begin to face spiritual warfare. But you have been equipped. You've been equipped not just to face it, but to be victorious in the midst of spiritual warfare. So we've been praying around this building. The men of the house have met every morning from 8 to 8.30 a.m. If you haven't been here, men, come. Somebody, I mentioned this last week. Some of you got to go to work early and you can't be here at 8. I understand there's nothing stopping you from getting here earlier. Guess what? The parking lot is not locked. Show up. We've been here rain. I was going to say sleet or snow, but thank God that hadn't happened yet. (laughs) Rain or sun. We've been here praying and marching around this building. Just believing God. And then every Saturday we meet and we invite all the, the, the families, single, moms and dads and children, whoever. Everybody comes and prays together from 8 to 8.30 on Saturday morning. And we've been doing this now for almost 40 days. And we dedicated 40 days to prayer around this building. And as I was marching and praying around, I was back in the very back in that alley back there. And I began to pray and repent to the Lord for a lack of stewardship. I shared this last week. For lack of stewardship over this building. For those of you that don't know, we are, there's conflicting reports, but we are between the fourth and the fifth church to own that building and to try to remodel it and turn it into the house of the Lord. And every single time there's been a problem, there's been a moral failure, there's been been financial impropriety, there's been issues with construction. Something has happened and prevented the church from taking that property. There's been spiritual warfare. And we purchased that property almost 20 months ago. What we thought would be a six to eight months project has turned into almost two years. And we're at the finish line. But I was in the back and I was asking God, I was asking the Lord and just repenting before the Lord for the lack of stewardship. And he corrected me. He said, "Isn't it stewardship. It's reverence. It's been a lack of reverence for my house that led to poor stewardship. And immediately the Lord showed me a vision. What's a vision? It's just a spiritual daydream. And what I saw over the building was a, a circus tent. Covering the building and I could hear that circus music in my spirit. I saw clowns and people juggling and the house of the Lord had been turned into a circus. Now this isn't about any particular church. I don't know any of the churches that used to purchase that used to own that building at any time. This isn't an admonition against any of them. What I believe is it was the spirit of the Lord revealing to me a spirit that rests upon the modern day church today. A spirit that rests upon the capital C church that is playing with the presence of the Lord that has turned the house of God into a circus, a place of entertainment. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 27 says this. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. And since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear, reverence, and awe, for God is a devouring fire. And so I called last Sunday. I asked all of us as a church to fast, to fast and to pray from now until Thanksgiving. And we named our fast the reverence fast. I want to encourage you. When the Lord calls you into a fast, name it. Ask him, what do you want me to call this? What am I fasting for? I can tell you I can, I've seen the hand of the Lord. There are things that Nikki and I are living through today that I fasted for two and three years ago. And I believe what we're fasting for today we'll be living in in the future, but... The Lord asked me to call a fast and call it the reverence fast. And so we haven't been eating. We've been fasting. We've been praying. We've been seeking the Lord. How's it going? If you don't know, those of you who are new, I always say this. I connect with God through feasting. I mean, I don't know why. I just feel the Lord. I'm a fifth generation Texan. It comes naturally to me. The greasier, the better. I feel the Lord when you're eating. I feel the Lord through feasting. So if I call to fast, it's God. But the Lord called us to fast, and we've been leaning into this place of reverence. And I want to teach a little bit more on reverence this morning, but you can't talk about reverence without talking about honor. You see, reverence and honor are not the same thing, but they are inextricably linked. They are bound together i want to encourage you much of this that i'm going to talk about honor i pulled from a message that our senior lead pastor pastor landon preached at our fort worth campus a couple of years ago called governed by honor on mercy culture's main youtube page you can search that message governed by honor i encourage you to do that spend some time this week take 45 minutes and watch that message it'll change your life I also have a great announcement. Pastor Landon will be with us next Sunday morning here in the tent. I told him, I said, I see you showed up in November. <laughs> ah, I see what you did there. See, he, wa- he was scheduled in July, but he didn't come in July. No, 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 it was too hot. The Warriors were here in July. No, I'm just playing. No, Pastor Landon will be here next Sunday, and we are so excited to have him Um, but let's talk about what is the difference between honor and reverence. I want to bring attention. When we first began to pray into launching Mercy Culture here in the city of Waco, I went away to a place in Washington State, a place that a family that we're connected with built, and they call this prayer room the upper room, and people from all over come and pray in this particular room, and the Lord asked us to go and pray there, and I went and prayed and began to ask the Lord in that space, Lord, what are the principalities over the city of Waco? Because whether we realize it or not, I said it before, we're in a spiritual battle. And there's a spiritual battle in your lives. There's a spiritual battle in your families. There's a spiritual battle in regions and cities. And one of the principalities that we saw resting over Waco was a spirit of dishonor. And the way that we combat dishonor is by lifting up honor. So as we learn about honor and reverence this morning, I want to make sure that you are spiritually in tune and that your spirits are awake and that you recognize this is a spiritual battle that we are in. You see, honor and reverence are linked together when you fear And revere the Lord you will honor the Lord's people in a biblical sense reverence is a profound adoring and odd respect it indicates to tremble before arising from our awareness of our own weakness reverence is reserved for God alone honor is a great respect of an individual or an institution honor is one of the values of mercy culture church We put it like this, we are governed by honor. Honor reflects heaven's value. Honor protects freedoms, creates safe safe places, and reflects a kingdom identity. Honor is about self-control, not control. In the Greek, that word honor is timayo. It means to properly assign value as it reflects the personal esteem, value, or preciousness attached to it by the beholder. Honor, heaven's honor, means that it is not the value that a person earns, but it is the value that Jesus placed on that individual. You see, honor is a culture of heaven, it reflects the value of heaven, not our own value. So, who are we called to honor? We are called to honor all people, we're called to honor both God and others. And yes, I said all people. I'm going to say it over here. I said all people. Thanksgiving is coming up. you about to see that cousin. Y'all know what cousin I'm talking about. Y'all know exactly what cousin I'm talking about. You're about to see that cousin or that aunt or that uncle or whoever it is that you don't like. And you're going to be faced with an opportunity to partner with honor or to partner with the spirit of dishonor. Listen, your cute, passive-aggressive, cutting, biting, hateful comments is a spirit. So we honor God. How do we honor the Lord? We honor the Lord with our money. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. I'm not taking up an offering. You You can relax. You can unclench. Get your hands off your wallet nobody's receiving an offering if you've been around here at mercy culture you know we have we receive one offering a year one offering a year we receive a heart for mercy offering and we spend a few weeks at the beginning of the year and we ask you to go and pray and ask the lord what he would have you to give and then to come and obey the lord in that heart for mercy offering that's it outside of that we spend about 30 seconds telling you how you can give. And I want to say I'm so proud of this congregation for being a faithful and generous house, being obedient to the voice of the Lord, and giving generously and faithfully. But I would be amiss if I didn't teach you what it means to honor the Lord with our finances. And one of the reasons why this is a difficult topic to preach on difficult topic sometimes to hear is because we have placed a disproportionate value on our money and for many of us we have unintentionally valued our finances more than obedience to the lord Leviticus 2730 says a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. In other words, when we give God 10%, we are not being generous. We are simply giving to the Lord what belongs to him. It is holy unto the Lord. The Bible says that if you withhold the tithe, you are a thief and a robber. And if you are frustrated and angered and this is making you uncomfortable and you feel it in your flesh, it's okay. But it's, it's important to recognize you have a greed problem and that's all right. And part of my job as a pastor is to bring clarity and understanding. And sometimes if you're anything like me, you kind of got to be slapped in the face with what it is that you're facing. Like, whoa, I didn't realize I was greedy. I didn't realize that I had an issue with this. I really thought that I was being super generous when I dropped that 20 in the plate and I held on to all of my money and I refused to tithe to the Lord because I watched a YouTube theologian teach me for 22 minutes and it fed my flesh and it made my flesh feel good. So I decided to ignore what the scripture says. People say things like, I can't afford to tithe, but the truth is we don't have an affording problem. We have a value problem. Do we value obedience to the Lord above all things? We honor the Lord with our body. Sex outside of biblical marriage is a sin. I will never forget. I was sitting in that service. This message governed by honor is about two or three years ago before we launched Mercy Culture Waco. And I was in Fort Worth and Pastor Landon said that line and about three rows behind me, some woman yelled out, oh, and then she cussed. <laughs> when he said sex outside of biblical marriages is a sin, she just said, oh man, and just cursed. I know what she was thinking. I should have stayed home from church this morning. <laughs> I knew I should have hit snooze and not come to church this morning. One of the great moments in church. (laughs) Sex outside of biblical marriage is a sin. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says, flee. Say flee. Flee. From sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Come on say it to yourself say I am not my own. <laughs> For you were bought with a price, you were assigned value. So glorify God in your body. Ah, honor God. We honor the Lord with our worship. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2:20 Says this, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay and some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. I don't know about you. I want to be set apart as holy. Holy. I want to be an honorable vessel of worship before the Lord. And then we honor people. How do we honor people? We honor people through our marriage. First Peter chapter 3, 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It was just a few years ago that that scripture jumped out to me. Some of you men are wondering, asking the Lord, and you're saying to the Lord, why does it feel like the heavens are brass? And every time I pray, it doesn't go beyond the ceiling, and I can't seem to have breakthrough, and no, the Lord doesn't seem to be answering my prayers. Well, 1 Peter 3, 7 says that if you don't live with your wife in an understanding way, if you don't show honor to her, then your prayers will be hindered. So ask the Lord, how can I honor my wife and be more understanding to her? Colossians 3:19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Uh-oh, it got real quiet. You ever hear somebody's eyes turn to the left? Like you, you could almost hear. Some of the women like, did you hear that? Do not what scripture was that, Pastor? That's gonna be the next the next tattoo Colossians 319 some of you women just be like right here do not be harsh so you guys know we've been praying here at the church every morning and on Saturday I'd encourage everybody I went on our Facebook family page if you're not a part of that we share a lot of information if you're a member you can join that just search mercy culture Waco family page or something like that yeah on Facebook I went on there and I went on our Slack channel to our search. And I'm like, I encourage you guys, show up tomorrow. Let's pray. Let's seek the Lord. And one of our members, Clay and Honest Dyer, just had a baby on Saturday morning. Congratulations to them. And so Nikki was there. She she went and met them super early in the morning and woke me up, but she went and was there and, and I got the kids up and I got the kids ready and we were standing at the door, and we were going out to go pray and I reached for the hook. Y'all, we have a hook in our, at our front door and we hang our keys there, right? It's very simple. Every time you use the key, you hang it on the hook and I go to reach and there are no keys. And I knew at that moment, I called Nikki, babe, where are the keys at? She said, I don't know. I said, "Well, I know I put them back on the hook where they go." And she said, "I hope they're not in my purse. I already knew they was in her purse. I already knew it. She said, "Oh my gosh, I have them right here." And y'all, I just hung up the phone. I just went, I hung up. See, the Lord tested me on Colossians 3:19: "Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh. And Nikki said, and you failed. He tested me and I failed because I called her back. See, I should have just left the phone off. But I called her back. I said, it is not difficult to put the keys back on the hook. I said, I posted on the internet and went on Slack and told everybody to show up and pray. And I'm just chilling at the house. So if you were here in prayer on Saturday morning, I was steaming at the house. I promise you that. (laughs) Ephesians 5.25, husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and and is himself its savior. When we were first married, by the way, Nikki and I celebrate 20 years of marriage on November 14th. In two days, two days, 20 years of marriage. We're so excited. But when we were first married, she wasn't submitting to me. And I got a little frustrated, so I wrote her a note. I wrote her a letter. It was a, she said, no, it was a letter. I don't remember, but she remembers every letter, every syllable of that note. I wrote her a letter and something along the lines of, you're not submitting to me and this, that, and the other. A punk 22-year-old, really, really, some 22-year-olds have some wisdom. I had none. (laughs) Zip, zero, zilch, nada, no intelligence, no talent, no wisdom. I don't have any idea why she married me. Uh, Truly, I was about 50 pounds heavier than I am now. It's a miracle from God. That's the truth. Praise the Lord. Sometimes when I'm laying on the floor, that's what I'm thanking God for. Thank you for the temporary blindness of my beautiful wife. So I wrote her a letter and asked her, told her, not asked her, told her to submit to me. And she said something along the lines of, give me something to submit to. Men, if you find that there's disorder in your home, grow up. If you find that there's a lack of submission in your home, man up. If you find that you can't find, nobody will follow you in your house. Why don't you give your wife and your children something to follow? When they come in the morning, are you scrolling the internet or sleep in bed? Are you seeking the face of the Lord? Are you praying and fasting? When your pastor calls a fast, do you take your kids to Whataburger afterwards? Or do you say, I'm going to pick up the mantle and I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to spiritually lead my family? Do you get in your car and run down your leadership? Do you get in your car and complain about this, that, or the other, and then expect your children to look at you with respect? Expect your wife to look at you with honor? Expect your family to submit to what? Your emotional, weak lack of spiritual leadership? If you want order in your home, honor the Lord and spiritually lead Listen, there's no shame. You can spiritually lead beginning today. You can spiritually lead right now. I've seen there are some men in this house that I'm thinking of right now that over the last year have picked up the mantle of spiritual leadership. Who who had abandoned the leadership of their family spiritually, but have taken this season and leaned into daily encounters with God and picked up the mantle of spiritual leadership. Has it changed your life? Amen. I'm going to give you some practical advice. If it's hard for you to honor a particular person, ask the Holy Spirit how he wants you to honor that individual. And then obey him. You better be careful before you ask him. Because it's usually going to be something that hurts your flesh to do it. Honor your church and spiritual leaders. 1 Timothy 5.17 said, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and in teaching. You see, the office of pastor is what we honor despite an individual's behavior. Because as your pastor and leader in this house, and my wife and Pastor Jordan, Pastor Shandell, the other leaders among mercy culture, none of us are perfect. You will find mistakes, but we We try and we seek to honor the Lord and to honor each other, but we are to honor the office, the spiritual authority that God has given to church and to spiritual leaders. And we do that in certain ways. You know, I mentioned earlier, Pastor Landon, who will be here next Sunday, but Pastor Landon is, the, Landon is the founding pastor of Mercy Culture Church in Fort Worth, and he is the overseer, the senior lead pastor. Somebody said, well, who's my pastor? Is it you? Is it Pastor Landon? We both are. You get, you get a lot of pastors. Aren't, aren't we blessed? But pastor Landon is my pastor, but what many of you don't know, or some of you don't know, he's also my best friend. And Pastor Lynn and Pastor Heather are like mine and Nikki's brother and sister. And we spend holidays together and vacation together. And we've known each other for close to 20 years now. We've raised our children together. And there's a level of comfort and familiarity between us. But there is always honor. Yeah, right. And even though that's my best friend who calls me every day. I talk to him almost every day and have for 17, 18 years now. If I'm talking to somebody else, if I'm on the phone with somebody else and my pastor calls, he takes priority. Why? Because the Bible says to offer double honor, especially to those who preach and who teach and who bring the gospel. So we honor the Lord by honoring others. We honor all people. 1 Peter 2.17 says, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. You see, dishonoring any person never, say never, honors the Lord. There was a gentleman many years ago my dad was a pastor and there was a guy who caused all these problems within our church ran my dad down like a dog talked about him terribly and then he was on staff at another church and i was over there for some event and i ran into him in the hallway and i was probably 14 15 years old i was fiery let me tell you and i was maybe 15 and i run into him in the hallway and he goes well hi les and he sticks out his hand and I just looked at his hand and go, you got to be kidding me, and walked off. Somebody said, amen. <laughs> no, that wasn't the right thing to do. <laughs> Somebody said, amen. That's, no, that wasn't the right thing to do. I just stared at his hand and said, you got to be joking me, and just kept on walking. And then I came home, I felt pretty proud of myself. And I was like, yeah, I told him. And I came home, and I told my dad. It's like, you'll never believe who tried to shake my hand He'd Listen to this. My dad just looked at me and he goes, That's dishonor. You will go back to that church, you will repent to that man, you will tell him you're sorry, you will shake his hand and tell him you love him. I said, No, I won't. In internally, I said that. Inside. Inside. Because some of y'all don't beat y'all kids, but that's not my testimony. And I knew anybody ever seen my dad he's usually here sitting on the second row the dude is big and he's been big a long time It's a big man and I knew if I said that to him I'd be picking my teeth out of the back of my throat so I just say yes sir yes sir through gritted teeth and I went back and I honored that man and I repented to him and I apologized and I have never regretted honor I've never regretted honor No matter how much I was dishonored, I've never regretted honor. You see, dishonor is demonic. Mm. See, a big problem with Christians today is we forget that we're in a spiritual battle. And we think that everything is just what we see. We think that when we dishonor somebody, it's just because I'm an Enneagram 14 or whatever number you are. And it's just because that's just my personality, I'm keeping it real, and that's just who I am, and I do this, that, and the other. No, you're partnering with the demon spirit, and then there's chaos and disorder and confusion and sickness and all of these things in your home, and you wonder why. And it's because we don't recognize we're in a spiritual battle. You see, every time you partner with dishonor, you partner with the enemy. If heaven's value is honor, then dishonor is the value of hell. We see it in the Bible. The first thing that we see Satan do in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 is to devalue or dishonor the word of God. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say? What did he do? He removed value from the word of God. He tried to reorder the value. He tried to say what you feel, Eve, is more important than the word of the Lord. You sh- Did he really say that you can't eat of that tree? Did he really say that you're supposed to tithe? Did he really say that you're supposed to forgive your enemies? Did he really say sex outside of biblical marriage is a sin? Did he really say these things that offend my flesh and bother me Did he really say that or am I going to let the enemy reorder the value of honor in my life? You see, dishonor opens the door to irreverence. Devaluing God's children, his word, his house leads to the devaluing of the Lord. I'm going to define reverence for you. Reverence is simply the fear of the Lord. And in the Bible, reverence is defined as a profound, awe-inspiring respect. It is the instinctive response of everyone who encounters the Lord God Almighty. The Greek word for reverence is eulabia, and it means caution, reverence, fear of God, piety. Properly, a taking hold of what God calls good. It's a holy caution, inducing circumspect behavior. The Hebrews illustrated it like this. It is as if a person carrying a priceless Persian vase across the room, which will always be carried in a devout and respectful fashion. It means that you don't carry the presence of God like you carry a football. You carry it with respect and honor. See, God created order from chaos and Satan has been trying to create chaos from order ever since. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then we see God begin to lay out his character and God began to show us that he is a God of distinctions or a God of order, a God that separates He's a God that separated light from darkness and day from night. He separated the waters of the earth from the waters of the sky. He separated the water of the land. He separated the waters from the dry land. He separated plants from animals. He separated animals from humans. He separated man from woman and he separated the holy from the profane. He brought order. There is a spiritual battle against the distinctions of God. There is a spiritual battle against the distinctions of God. It is a battle against reverence and the fear of the Lord. i want to bring your attention. The chaos that we see in society is not just happening to us, ladies and gentlemen. It is a spiritual battle. And in every day, you choose whether you partner with the enemy's destruction of the order and reverence of God, or you battle against it. Where there is no reverence of the Lord, foolishness abounds. In Proverbs nine ten, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see, there's a lot of people that, got a, that have a lot of knowledge and no wisdom. They've been to school. They've been educated. They've got PhDs and master's degrees and accolades and positions, but they have no wisdom. They are foolish because they do not have a reverence of the Lord. See, this is why the most godless places produce the most rampant foolishness. We see it in the federal government, which have officially changed the name of mothers in federal documents from mother to birthing people. Because the federal government's official position is that men can give birth. I know you think it's silly. I know we laugh about it. I know we roll our eyes and go, well, that's a few crazy people. No, it's a demon spirit that is warring against the distinctions that God put in place. The American Medical Medical Association. The American Medical Association. Not Uncle Jim Bob's School of Doctors the most prestigious medical association in the world has recommended that they no longer place gender on birth certificates because infants do not know their gender. It is a war against reverence. It is a mockery of the reverence of the Lord. Our colleges and universities have put forth the idea that there are trans children as young as two and three years old that should be given puberty blockers, that 13 and 14 year old girls should have their healthy breasts removed because they say that they're a boy one day. Our children and young people are being mutilated and there are people that are fighting for the ability to continue that mutilation. College and universities have brought forth the ridiculous notions of microaggressions where they have to teach you how you should be offended. I didn't realize that I should be offended, but now that you taught me for four years, I'm angry and offended and bitter and reject forgiveness. Why? It's an attack against the reverence of the Lord. They are promulgating the idea of the resegregation of the races It is why major colleges and universities all across this country and around the world now have black graduations and Hispanic graduations and Asian graduations and white graduations because this foolishness abounds where we don't honor the Lord. We see it in modern art and music where we used to have Rembrandt and Van Gogh and now we have turd sculptures that win international awards. We have gold-plated toilets in the Guggenheim Museum where you can go and actually use. And it's the name of the art exhibit is the United States of America. We see it when we used to have Beethoven and Bach. And now we have atonal music that makes no sense and sounds like garbage. And people sit in the audience and ooh and ah at the beauty. It's a mockery of the order of the Lord. These things are not just happening. It is a spiritual battle. Does it make sense that people would travel from all over the world and spend millions of dollars to look at a rotting banana nailed to the wall and called art? No, it's a spirit that is mocking the order of the Lord. Society comes against good people and stands up for evil people. We see it today in the Israel versus Palestine battle. We have Hamas, which is a terrorist organization that has made it, placed it in their charter, the elimination not only of the nation of Israel, but of Jews all around the world. In their charter, they say, we love death the way the Jews love life. They rape and murder and kidnap and burn alive women and children and the elderly, wiping out entire families And we see thousands of people taking into the streets in support of their terroristic activities. It's a spiritual battle. Why can you know someone stands on one of these seemingly disconnected issues and suddenly you know where they stand on all of them? Why does, what does diversity equity and inclusion courses have to do with abortion What do drag queens have to do with PETA's assertion that animals and humans are equal in their value? Why are those things all of a sudden conflated and connected? Because it's a spirit. Ah. You see, disorder is the manifestation of irreverence. Disorder in the church. You can't submit to anyone. If you you can't submit to anyone, you have a reverence problem. If nobody can give you feedback and nobody can tell you where you need to grow and nobody can give you direction, you have a reverence problem. When we change scripture to conform to our desires instead of changing our desires to conform with scripture, it's when Christians say things like, I'm just church shopping. And what you mean is that you're looking for a place that fits you instead of where God has called me to die to myself. Let me find a place that feeds my flesh. Let me find a place that tells me what I want to hear when I want to hear it. Find a place that I leave no matter what I feel in my emotions, I leave affirmed in how I feel. No, no, that is irreverence and it's out of order. It's when we see a lack of excellence when we say things like, ah, that's good enough, we overlook and we're not doing the best with what we have. It's because we don't honor and reverence what the Lord has given to us to steward. When we devalue the presence of God, we don't have daily encounters and we reject the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Mark chapter six, verses one through six, it tells this story of Jesus. And he goes to his hometown and he starts to teach and the people in his hometown start to ask questions and they say things like, who does he think he is? And where did he get this wisdom? And we know him. We know his mom and him. We know his cousins. We know his brothers and sisters. We know who he is. Where does he think he comes off coming in here and teaching us? And they began to disrespect, dishonor the Lord. And verse 3 says, they took offense at Jesus. Don't set In judgment, because there's a lot of churches that have taken offense at Jesus. That when Jesus wants to come in and heal people's body, they get offended. When Jesus wants to anoint a woman to minister, they're offended at Jesus. Ah. There's an offense that they had with Jesus. And verse 4 says, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. And then a fascinating thing. Is said in scripture in verse five, and he could do no mighty works there. This is Jesus. God in the flesh could do no mighty works because of their irreverence of him. And it says, except that he lay his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And then Jesus marveled at their unbelief. I I wonder, church, we've been so blessed here. About a year ago, Pastor Landon came and preached and prophesied. He said, have, you, have we named the tent yet? And we hadn't. He said, oh, it's the tent of miracles. It's the tent of miracles. And we've been stewarding that word. And people have been miraculously healed. Raise your hand if you've been healed physically in the tent of miracles at all. All around the room. All around the room. There's been miraculous healings that have taken place in this tent we're continuing to believe God for more. But my question that rose up in my spirit when I read this this week is, are we settling for the few sick people? Are we leaving the truly mighty works on the table? You see, the Bible says that Jesus still healed people, but that he couldn't do the truly mighty works because of their lack of irreverence. Yes, it is like this every week. It's something that we say, It's like this every week God meets us, but we cannot become familiar with the presence of the Lord. Irreverence manifests by the mixing of the holy and the profane. There's a pastor that I saw just this week. He put out a video on his own platform and he talks about his cursing. And he uses the F word and every word you can imagine in his messages and on his podcast. And he said in this video that the Holy Spirit told him to curse. And told, is a very well-known influential minister, told him to use this foul language as bait to reach other people. It's out of order and it's irreverent. Ezekiel 22 says, they made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean and they have disregarded my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them and her prophets have smeared or whitewashed for them seeing false visions and divining lies for them what does this mean it means that the Bible is warning us that there are preachers who refuse to teach and define the difference between the clean and the unclean, the holy and the profane. And then they will lie and make up words from the Lord for the people to make them feel good. Saying, thus says the Lord, where the Lord has not spoken. Be very careful, ladies and gentlemen. Do not get words from irreverent people. Do not follow and listen to people who do not fear the Lord. They will be foolish. The Bible says it, not me. They will be foolish. And you will think you are hearing words from the Lord when the Lord has not spoken. We see this play out in churches around the world. Lights, camera, action. It's a performance. It's entertainment. Instead of holy reverence and awe and wonder. Psalms 211 says, worship the Lord and serve him with reverence. With awe-inspired fear and submissive wonder. Rejoice, yet do so with trembling. Listen, family, it's not our job to go to churches and watch them online and judge who's worshiping the Lord with awe and wonder and who isn't. It's not our job to pick up judgment and go oh man if other churches could just be like mercy culture man we're the ones who fear the lord we're the ones who worship but that's just a performance that's just a show no 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 that is irreverence and dishonor how do we know we worship the lord in awe and wonder we seek the lord you as an individual ask the lord to give you the revelation of the fear of the lord we see disorder manifested in our homes we see it in relationship of husbands to wives and wives to husbands children's children to parents what do you watch what do you listen to how do you fight in your home how do you have disagreements is it out of order what's the cleanliness like in your house there's a difference between your home getting out of order we have 5 kids it happens and needing to be cleaned, and a spirit of disorder or irreverence resting in your house? Are you stewarding your schedule? I've come to ask you this morning, what disorder or manifestation of irreverence are you tolerating in your home? Worship team, if you would come up. Are we tolerating at work and school? Do you compartmentalize your life? Do you have your Christian life and then your public life? This is less at church and this is less at work and I don't wanna cram anything down anybody's throat and I wanna, I still wanna reach people and so I'll go to the happy hour after work and I'll get a little buzzed with my coworkers and I'll talk about maybe a higher power, maybe I'll mention God, but I don't wanna to go too far. I don't wanna truly live my faith there. You are, you are irreverent to the Lord. We have lost the fear of the Lord. There is power in reverence to God. Reverence brings favor. Psalms 34, 9 and 10 says, Worship in awe and wonder all you have been made holy. For all who fear him will feast with plenty. Even the strong and the wealthy grow weak and hungry, but those who passionately pursue the Lord will never lack any good thing. Reverence opens up heaven. Hebrews 5, 7 and 8 talks about Jesus crying out and praying to the Lord. And it says that God heard the cries of Jesus because of his reverence. Acts 2:43. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Why? Because they had reverence and awe for the Lord. Reverence leads to righteousness. Genesis forty two eighteen. This is the story of Joseph and his brothers. Joseph's brothers had kidnapped him and thrown him into a pit and sold him into slavery, left him to die. And then Joseph was exalted through the honor that he continued to show to the highest levels of leadership in a foreign land. And his brothers came to him in need of his assistance. Joseph had every reason in the world to dishonor his brothers to give them what he knew to be justice, to tell them you can forget it, go find food somewhere else, you're not getting it from me. The Bible says that Joseph said to them, if you'll do what I've told you to do, I'll fulfill my promise, for I fear the Lord. You see, reverence demands a response. Ah, Reverence demands that we respond to the presence of the Lord. I was asking the Lord this morning. I've been asking him all week, but this morning again, I was like, Lord, how do you want to impart reverence to your people? Because this isn't just a message for you to learn some practical points. There's a spirit of the fear of the Lord that he wants to impart to you this morning. Just begin to posture your heart to receive. I asked the Lord, I said, how do you want to impart to us reverence? The Lord took me to all of these examples throughout the Bible where we see men and women coming face to face with the presence of the living God. We see it in Exodus, where Moses. Who had been living in exile in the wilderness uh, away from his people he was raised in a foreign land he was raised in the house of pharaoh he was raised with foreign gods he didn't know jehovah he didn't know the true and living god but he's walking in the wilderness and there before him is a bush that is burning and not consumed and the voice of the lord begins to speak and what is Moses' response all of the sudden moses has reverence takes off his shoes and the Bible says he hides his face for he's afraid to look at God you see it in John chapter 18 Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane he's praying his final prayers he's getting ready to do the hardest thing any man has ever done and go and lay his life down for us and here come the Roman soldiers to take him away he looks at them and he says, who do you seek? Who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus looks at the soldiers and he says, I am he. In the original language, what he actually says is, I am Yahweh. What does he do? He declares his holiness looks at the soldiers and he says I am Yahweh and what is their response the Bible says these soldiers who came to unapologetically murder Jesus drew back and fell to the ground why the holiness of God demands reverence let's begin to pray in your heavenly light We're not prophesying in tongues, praying in our heavenly language. If you don't have the gift of tongues, just begin to pray. Tell the Lord how holy he is. Tell the Lord how holy he is. Tell the Lord how righteous, how wonderful he is. The closer you get to the presence of Jesus, the more you will grow in reverence. The more you begin to reverence the Lord, the less of you and the more of him. this pattern repeated throughout the Bible when people come face to face with the glory of God they begin to revere him and certain things happen in Isaiah chapter 6 and Ezekiel 1 and 2 and Revelation 4 and 5 and the story of John the Baptist and Matthew they come face to face with the glory of God and they're overwhelmed with the fear of the Lord and we see they are convicted of their sins they are They are cleansed of their wrongdoing. They are baptized in fearlessness. And then they are sent to do the will of the Lord. And I believe this morning that as we come face to face with the glory of God, as we receive an impartation of the fear and reverence of the Lord. You will begin to be convicted. Come on, ask the Lord, what are you convicting me of? Nobody looking around. Nobody looking around. Ask the Lord, Lord, what are you convicting me of? Lord, reveal to me, show me the hidden places of my heart. Show me what I'm holding on to that I need to lay down. Show me where I need. Forgiveness. Show me where I need to be cleansed. Show me the secret places. Show me the dark places. Show me the hidden places. Show me the places of my flesh that are still alive and need to die. Holy Spirit, where are you convicting me? Just take 30 seconds and ask him. Just ask him. in all those scripture references that i gave you in isaiah and ezekiel and revelation when the man of god was convicted in the presence of the lord the next thing that happened is the spirit of the lord cleansed him you see he's a good father he never reveals what he's not willing to cleanse come on some of you it's been revealed to you today many areas of disorder and irreverence in your life, you can you see it. You see disorder in your finances. You see disorder in your home. You see a lack of reverence among your family, in your job. Some of you men feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and you say, "I haven't been leading well. And I haven't been I haven't been a man worthy of submission and a respect from my family, my coworkers, my friends." the Lord isn't revealing these things to leave you there. He wants to cleanse you and strengthen you today. So ask him, say, God, cleanse me. Come on, ask him, say, Lord, would you take the coals from the fire of your altar and would you place them upon my lips? Would you cleanse me, Jesus? Come on, cry out to the Lord, ask him to cleanse you. Ask him to wash you. The next thing we see after being convicted and being cleansed, we see the Spirit of the Lord speaking and saying, fear not. Come on, just lift your hands, lift your hands, lift your hands. Lift your hands, lift your hands. I declare to you, fear not. Fear not. Fear not, fear nothing but the Lord. Holy Spirit, would you baptize your children in fearlessness? Would you baptize your children in fearlessness? Unafraid to share what you've done for them. Unafraid to tell their waiter and waitress, their boss and friend about Jesus. Unafraid to speak truth to lies. Unafraid to bring light darkness, unafraid to stick out and be different, unafraid to be vulnerable and show honor when they have every right to show dishonor. Father, I declare in the name of Jesus that you are going to baptize your sons and daughters in fearlessness and some of them are going to walk into the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays with boldness and strength They will operate in honor, but their spirit will speak to the lies in their families. Their spirit will speak to the darkness and deceit in their families. And where they used to battle in the flesh, they will battle in the spirit. Unafraid, unashamed, walking in the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit and in the fear of the Lord. final thing we see in all of these examples of coming face to face with the glory of God. When people receive the revelation of reverence and awe and wonder and the fear of the Lord, they are always You cannot fear the Lord and stay hidden. You cannot fear the Lord and not obey what he's called us to do. Some of you have been hidden for too long. Some of you, it hasn't been the Lord that's been hiding you. You have been hiding. You've been hiding from the fight. You've been hiding from the mantle of leadership. You've been afraid to be different. You've been afraid to stick out. You've been afraid to speak up. You've been afraid to obey the Lord, and as I'm speaking, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For some of you, you've got it right there, you know exactly what I mean. You've been afraid to obey the Lord. You've been afraid to do it. I feel in my spirit for some of you, God told you to quit drinking, and you've been afraid to do it. He said, I can't, I can't, I can't. Some of you God told you to fast, and you've been afraid to fast. Some of you God told you to break up with that boyfriend or girlfriend, and you've been afraid to do it. For some of you, God told you to start that business. You've been afraid to do it. For others, God told you to share your faith, to witness to that person that keeps being laid on your heart and you've been afraid to do it and the enemy's been lying to you. The enemy's been causing you to rearrange the value in your life. The enemy's been telling you, you've made too many mistakes. You've already revealed yourself as too fleshly. You can't talk about Jesus now. You've already ruined your witness. It's a lie, it's a lie from the enemy. Come on everybody, if you can, stand to your feet. to just lift your hands this morning. Say, here I am, send me. Come on, tell him, say, here I am, send me. In your own words, ask the Lord to baptize you in the fear of the Lord. Come on, ask him to baptize you in the fear of the Lord. Church family, persecution is coming to the church church family. I've been preaching about it for a year. I feel the urgency in my spirit. There is persecution that is coming to the church the Bible promises us that it will happen the Bible tells us that if they persecuted Jesus they will persecute you and they will persecute me and we will never make it without the fear of the Lord we will never make it without the reverence of the Lord we will never make it if our life is out of order If we don't fear the Lord, we will fear everything else. But if you fear the Lord, you will fear nothing else. Come on, ask him, baptize me in the fear of the Lord. Lift up your voices and ask him, baptize me in the fear of the Lord.